Okay, welcome to the Tessa Van Wade Show. Thank you so much. I have Shaka on Zoom with me right now, and I can't tell you, like, what a gift. My heart is pounding. Like, I'm so excited to do this. <laughs> like, so excited. So I just want to introduce you to Shaka Singhor, who is a New York Times bestseller for Writing My Wrongs and uh, Letters to the Sons of Society. And I have read both and I absolutely adore both. And I think that the world absolutely needs to have them 100%. I agree. <laughs> so I wanted to show you really quick before we even begin. I like seriously was like, oh, wow. how in the world am I going to get through this? But I'm not going to go through everything. But I have some really interesting stuff that I wanted to kind of pull out of it. I thought maybe first, I want to just kind of say like, one of the things that I got from your books is number one, you're an, a beautiful writer. That's plain and simple. You're welcome. <laughs> and, um, but number, number two, um, you are a communicator 100%. And I, I just really quickly, before we even go into your background, because I want people to just get to know you, like what, when do you feel like you re you really understood that you were a communicator? Do you feel like that was even when you were little? No, actually, growing up, I was very shy. Um, I would almost say kind of introverted, which in a way I kind of still am. Okay. You know, sometimes you just kind of step out there and do the things. I mean, I'm very social within my network of friends and Sure. You know, I know how to, you know, do what's required of the moment when it comes to communicating, but I didn't quite discover the true gift of storytelling until I was actually in prison. Okay. And I would be in, you know, study groups with friends and, you know, discussing books and we would have heated debates and, you know, we would often run programs inside for, the other men and and that environment is where I really kind of honed the skills. Um, I didn't acknowledge them as such back then, but yeah. now when I think about my work in the world, I think about how I show up, how I communicate, whether a written word or through just conversations, I'm like, Oh, I developed those skills, you know, while I was in there. Interesting. Cause it's so funny because it feels like it flows so well from you, but I also know that, that our communication skills are just, they're just, they're built up from what we go through in life. And then we, and it is our recovery that actually helps us get better at those. Right. And so it's so interesting because going through your books, it was such a, it was an, an amazing experience. And what's funny is I'm a writer too. And so it's a lot of what my communicating is, is better as a write, writer. And so I wrote like, you are the gateway to my empathy for mm -hmm. somebody else's experience. Right. And so if I can read what you've gone through, even if it just gives me a fraction of an understanding of what people go through on a daily basis, this is why this is important. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I mean, I think that's one of the great and powerful things about the written word is you get an opportunity to navigate life through somebody else's experience. And yeah. even when that experience is fiction, you know, you're uh, reading something written by a great writer, you know, it can really help you connect to a deeper sense of what it means to be human. Uh, for me and my experience with my last two books, uh, they happen to be based on my real life. Right. And, you know, fortunately I have the, skills and ability to really articulate my experiences in a way that really resonates with people and, you know, helps them feel connected to my experience, even though they haven't gone through it because ultimately my experience is the human experience. You right. know, I spent a considerable amount of time incarcerated and the reality is there's people in the free world who are emotionally, spiritually and mentally incarcerated by circumstances that they didn't create. Um, sometimes they're their upbringing. Yeah, sometimes it's their upbringing, sometimes it's a relationship they're in, sometimes it's their employment. I mean, there are so many different prisons that hold people hostage. And so I think because people can connect to the emotional reality of, of what I experienced and apply it to their own lives, there's been just, excuse me, uh, the emotional experience that I went through, they can apply that to their own lives. And I think that's what's 
really allowed my work to resonate in the way that it has. Yeah, I totally agree. I 100% agree. You know, it's um, first and foremost, I want to kind of go into and kind of give our audience a little bit of an understanding of where we've come from. And uh, so it was 19 years that you were in prison. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I was sentenced to 17 to 40 years, just months, you know, after my 19th birthday. And then I ended up spending a total of 19 years in prison, seven of those years in solitary confinement. And I was really fortunate to be released in June of 2010. So I'm fast approaching my 12th year of freedom. And look, I'm really excited about, you know, just the next iteration of my journey and and being able to kind of navigate other parts of my life as I continue uh, to grow and evolve in my thinking and living and experiences. Yeah. Uh, it's a really exciting time to be alive. It is. It is. Well, and, you know, if I I would always suggest we're going to talk more about the letters to the Sons of Society because I have so many things. Um, but I want everybody to go out and get Writing My Wrongs because I honestly, again, it's one of those things where even down to your description, I remember one time uh, you describing even just down to being in solitary confinement. Mm. And and how it was just such a, I mean, it was a burden to your soul to not even be next to anyone. It was, it was a, and then you spoke about a prison guard who wouldn't allow you, you had kind of built up some stuff and the prison guard wouldn't even allow you to kind of hand over your stuff to other people and things like that. And one of the things that I got from writing my wrongs um, and this, and letters to the sons of society was, how we don't we don't have in our prison systems we we just don't have the ability or or i mean we don't treat people as human and so the recovery is or the rehabilitation is just non-existent and so what you've done for just prison reform is just phenomenal You know, it just, and I can see how that comes from the deepest part of your soul because of course you lived it. Yeah. You know, when I, when I think about, you know, the unfortunate realities of our prison system and the people that it currently houses, you know, I'm really saddened that, you know, at this juncture where there's way more data, there's way more, you know, information and deeper insights into what's the most helpful for people when they are incarcerated, which is really, you know, wrapping them in the love and care that human beings are deserving of. And oftentimes which people incarcerated um, have been deprived of uh, and and which ultimately contributed to them being incarcerated. And so just to to have a system that further harms people, you know, is really tragic when you think about what it, what the experience was, you know, I spent a total of seven years in solitary confinement and, you know, that's 23-hour lockdown, five days a week, 24 hours, the other two days a week. That is amazing. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. Crazy. And, I mean, like, we wouldn't even find that permissible to for our pets. So, no. You know, and I think pets are to be adored, to be loved. They're members of our family. Right. Uh, but so are the people who are incarcerated. They are part of our human family. And, and I think that, you know, what I've always imagined is that whatever I share Hopefully it opens up the heart space of policymakers and politicians. But my reason, you know, is is rooted more so in who's actually in prison than it is that I'm, you know, that I've been in prison. So, you know, I'm constantly thinking about friends of mine who are currently incarcerated and who whose family missed them dearly and, and whose children um, have been robbed of their presence. And so that is my driver and keeps the passion burning. Yeah. And, you know, it allows me to keep going even when it's really tough. I love it. Yeah. Well, kind of leaning into that, I'm going to go to a part in letters of the, to the sons of society. And there, there was a part that actually, um, this is in, this is in the, um, the chapter love is unconditional and you're, mm-hmm. and, um, 
I wrote, I highlighted two different, I just highlighted two different sentences and, and let me explain why. It says, the men I met when I was incarcerated, Gangster Al, Slim Herney, Timothy Greer, and others, those men saw something redeemable in me that I didn't see in myself. And then on the other page, the very last sentence that you write before you go to the next thought is, I am passing their love on to you. And that's a cycle we can actually totally accept. And that's a cycle that we absolutely, when, when, people are, when people go through their worst and people are in their toughest moments, there are those other people that surround us that kind of recognize you are worth it, you are amazing, you are totally redeemable. And then that love to you, that is the same love that you draw, you draw on for your son. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I think about those three men in particular, uh, amongst many of the great men I was fortunate to meet, you know, what's really powerful about my experience with them is that these men were serving life sentences. They were serving really long, you know, a a lot of time. And fortunately, all three of them are now out, but they've all done, you know, 20, 30, 40 years in prison prior to that. And so, you know, the way that they approach helping me solve problems and figure out life was, you know, challenging me to read books. And, you know, we had intense and heated discussions and, you know, they were just incredible human beings that I think it's important for us to recognize their contribution to humanity because without them, there would be no me. And so it's just always important for me to reflect back to where the source of you know, my perspective and, you know, the, the self-love comes from. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. You know, it's, um, really quick the, you know, going into, you were saying, you were saying that, you know, this is the last two books have been, uh, nonfiction, but you put up a post the other day on, and I totally liked it on Instagram. I was like, yes, do it. Shaka of the fiction variety that you possibly would be into writing. But what's funny is what I wanted to say is the very first um, chapter in this. And it's so funny because I read this first and then I had my husband also read it, you know, because of some things we had, I had mentioned in the email. But it's so funny because the very first uh, chapter, what I love about it is, is, um, First of all, let's let's mention that these are two your sons. You have yes. a, you have an older son named Jay, and mm-hmm. you have a younger. And may I say it correctly? It's Seku. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So you have these sons that that you've had completely different experiences with, but you as a person, you have. But at the same time, you are writing these beautiful love letters to both of them that are just they're they're important for each, each one individual. And some of them are together to both of the sons and some of them are separate. But what I loved about the first one was that it, it read very much like fiction. Mm. I, about halfway through the first chapter, I was like, what? No. And I'm not going to give anything away, but I, but it was definitely like when I finally got to the end of the chapter, I like breathed out. Oh my gosh. And then what's funny is because my husband read it later, he did the exact same thing. He looked at me, he looked at me and he said, he, such and such happened. And I was like, just keep reading until the end. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, I mean, I, I think, you know, when I think about writing nonfiction, you know, I, so I started off writing fiction. So I've written four 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 novels um and two of myself published some years ago and then two of them I haven't okay published, published yet um and what I what I've found is that storytelling can be magical even when it's nonfiction. Yep. and I think sometimes people forget that you know writing is as much about telling stories as it is about the art form right And what's within the art form is really finding the language to articulate the the real experience, you know, in a way that connects people. And, you know, you don't have to give all the things away early on. Yeah. And it doesn't take away from the truth of the experience. It's just a sequence in which I chose to tell that particular story. 
And that was one of the hardest chapters to write, you know, and I read it a few times to people and I choke up and I cry every time because it's such a painful memory, but it was such an important story to share. Um, And, you know, when I, when I originally started thinking about the idea for a new book, what I thought about was just the narrative around boys and men and black boys specifically and, and black men specifically. And, you know, I started thinking about, you know, my sons who are in entrepreneurship and hip hop and all the things, because I think once you're a dad, you're just a dad. Yeah. Like, you know, you, you have, you have children that you sire. Um, but any child that comes into your, you know, proximity to you, like those are your children. They're yeah. in your care. And what I found is like great dads, that's how they show up. Yeah. You know, they don't they don't only think about their children, they're thinking about all the children who are, you know, in in their, you know, sphere of influence. And so, you know, when I what I what I landed on was that in order to get to the most intimate level of connectivity that I need to focus the letters to my son, sons, even though the themes in the book are very general and broad and accessible for everybody, you know, moms, daughters, sons, fathers, you know, grandparents. I think it speaks the human language. Yeah, it really does. It really does. And, and you know me, I'm a big fan of fiction and what I love about all, um, even the way you delved into almost making it like fiction in the first one is, is, you know, when you kind of pull people away from life can be heavy. I mean, we're right. Like yesterday was a tough day for, for us, right. Society and, and, and everything and life can be heavy and it can be disjointed and it can be messy. And one of the things is, is that we kind of get into these places within ourselves that we, we, we experience the same things over and over again through trauma, right? And and we kind of have the same stories that go through our head all the time that are because of trauma and because of all of that. And it it really does color put colored glasses on your eyes, you know, through through life and everything. And so it's interesting because sometimes I think that fiction kind of pulls you away from what you normally would think of things and allows you to just kind of hover over and see things in a completely different light. And so that's why I, that's why I was like, 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 like <laughs> on that one, because I yeah. totally see it. Um, you know, it's interesting because you, in the book, in Letters to the Sons of Society, you kind of have a bunch of different, there's, there's different letters to, like you said, to to your sons, but yet I feel like these are letters to the world. They were, I, you were able to bring in the heart and the soul of a parent and that was amazing. So maybe we should just call you the father of the world because like this is, I mean, seriously, the things that you were talking about were just like, everybody needs to hear this. And one of my biggest frustrations in, in the world today is that I feel like a lot of what we're dealing with is that people have kind of lost their empathy. Yeah. Or, I, I mean, have they lost it? Or did we, you know, did we all ever, were, I believe we were kind of all born with it. And then as we kind of get older and through like that trauma-filled glasses and things like that, then we kind of lose it, right? And so, mm. unfortunately, it's we find ourselves not putting ourselves in other people's places and that's where we get into a lot of trouble. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, I think there's a combination of things that's happening, you know, sometime when the world is so harsh and so brutal and the stories just continue to come and they continue to happen. Like as a mode of protection, I think people tend to go inward. Right. And, you know, to either go inward or to isolate and, and block off that influx of just negative information. And, and I get it and I definitely understand it. The, the problem is that people go inward and they stay there. Yeah. And, you know, what, what I think will change the world is when more people are really you know, taking the breaks that they need and taking the wellness care, but then jumping back into the fight and saying, listen, as a human family, we can do better and we can do more. 
And I think the more conversations that are generated around that human connection, the better the world becomes. Right, right. Well, and that, you know, those conversations are important for us to have with our kids. I mean, because our kids are the, they're the backbone of what is going to happen, right? They're there. They are what they are going to take with them, whatever it is that we teach them. And one of my biggest things is you, you can't, you can't be diverse in thought and you can't be diverse as a person unless you're putting yourself actively into places of learning and of constantly asking questions, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. You know, I think, I think that, you know, we have to continue to question everything. Yeah. And we have to question people who are in seats of power and influence. And then we also have to question, you know, ourselves and interrogate ourselves to determine like, am I making a full commitment to make the world a better place? Or am I, if I'm not, then how about I get out of the way of those who are making that commitment? So, I mean, those are the only two options I see is like either you're, you know, working to make a difference on you or you're in the way of those who are working to make a difference. And, you know, that active engagement. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean that everybody's going to go out and do a protest or, you know, go in and do a flash mob at their local Senate. What it means is that within our intimate circles, within the people that we have constant contact with, you know, there's opportunity to really help generate new conversations and new ideas that feeds the rest of the community and the rest of the world. Yeah. Kind of like the, I, I loved that. And this is kind of jumping ahead, but to joy day where, mm-hmm. and then the, yeah. that story uh, where the, you know, you, you knew that the barbers had to make the money for the day and everything. And then they come out at the end and they start giving, you know, free haircuts to all the kids out there that didn't ha- couldn't afford it. And this whole day was you and um, you trying to kind of give light to that community. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were, so at the time, my, my uh, partner, one of my business partners at the time, he's now like a, a dear brother to me. Uh, his name is Clement uh, Brown. We, we call him fame uh, yeah. and fame is an acronym for fashion, arts, music, and entertainment. Those are the things that he really loves. And, you know, he and I were just talking about our role, you know, as entrepreneurs in the community and how we can contribute our resources. And we went and met with these barbers and we asked them to come and cut hair for the the boys who was coming to this little mini festival that we were putting on called Joy Day on Joy Road. And it was on one of their busiest days. You know, it was a Saturday. It's, it's you know, a big haircut day for the guys because, you know, the people was getting their hair cut to go out and party later. And these men initially said, no, they can't do it. Yeah, And we were definitely like heartbroken because the little boys were so anxious and excited. Oh, Yeah. And then we had a couple of other barbers step up, but just the line was so long. And the, the impact of just seeing that many people from the community out, you know, having food, dancing together, just having merriment, like it really tugged at their heartstrings. And they came down the street like a legion of superheroes, you know, with their right. barbershop capes and just came and, and cut those boys hair and gave them a fresh look for their first day back to school. And, you know, it's a moment <laughs> so I'll cute. never forget, like how that really touched my heart to see yeah. these men that were just like, we're going to give up our busiest day um, in service of these children. Yeah, that is, it's just the sweetest story. It really is. And it was, it was a perfect ending to, to the book. It really was. Um, Because, you know, there are some pretty heavy things that your book goes through. And, and so if you don't mind, let's dig in, you know, it's, yeah. Okay. So some of the things that I found so interesting was um, there's that, there's the chapter where you kind of, you go into uh, the whole area, the whole time during uh, George Floyd and Ahmaud Aubrey, and and all, we were constantly as a society seeing these horrible things happening over and over and over again, right? And and it just, I feel like our attention level, like, um, 
I grew, you know, I grew up in, you know, a, a completely different culture in a t- completely different place. And what's crazy to me is that moving away and just kind of experiencing life uh, with my husband and, and knowing that I have to raise my kids to understand this brutality and that they need to be actively aware and actively not to ever be like a white savior, but to be, to, but to be a sister, right? To be, mm-hmm. or to be a friend, to be an understanding uh, contributor to, to doing something about it. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I think it's, it's really um, a powerful responsibility that, you know, as, as parents we have when we're thinking about how to help our children navigate this tough world, um, how to acknowledge that, you know, when you start to think about race and gender identity, that, you know, people have different access and different experiences. And I think starting those conversations early on with, with children really helps to produce different outcomes. You know, it, it, it really empowers them, one, to be agency, agents of change, um, but it also just creates space for them to be empathetic and compassionate when it comes to others who may not have experience, you know, love and nurturing care in a way that, you know, our children have. And yeah. I think being able to speak to that and, you know, engage children around those ideas is just, you know, such a, such a important part right. of the conversation. It is. It is such an important part of the conversation for me too. I feel like, um, I feel like there were some things throughout that time and, and everything that, um, you know, I remember kind of watching this, we've got now social media, right. And we've got social media that's doing this whole, you know, this whole thing of, of you've got one side that's putting up their memes and you've got another side that's putting up their memes. And, and, and I think a lot of times people walk around confused and walk around going, what the heck, like, what do I do? And I remember, I remember if I can tell a quick little story, I remember one time, you know, um, so there was that whole thing with, um, uh, the Aunt Jemima story. Mm. Do you remember that whole thing? Yeah, and it syrup, was about yeah. the same time. It was about the same time. And, and the world was kind of going through this crazy, like, like uh, I couldn't even watch the videos from George Floyd. I mean, and, and all of these things, but you know, the world was going through a really tough time during that. And, and my biggest struggle was that I didn't feel like anybody was listening. Mm. I didn't feel like anybody was seeking out the actual truth behind all of that and so this whole thing with Aunt Jemima came up and one of the things that really bothered me was that there was this meme that came up and all of these people were sharing oh well that's a rags to riches story and that's a that's a this and that okay well let's let's really get into it what I did was I actually contacted somebody on um, Facebook and, um, she's somebody that I follow because I really, really appreciate just how open and honest she is, um, Mm. with the racial divide. And so I, I went on and I, I messaged her and I was like, I don't know if she'll message me back, but I, what I said was this, I said, I want to know the truth and I want to know why this is, even though I don't understand it yet, I want to understand why this is so important to know. And what's interesting is she wrote back to me and Mm -hmm. um, her name is Mookie the Magnificent and she's awesome. I follow her on Facebook and she always puts the most amazing things. So, so anyway, so she got back to me and she said, so here is how that is. She said, this represents the mammy. This represents Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if that woman got money from that. That's not what the problem is about. The problem is a deeper focus on this is about the mammy and the fact that a mammy is the only job that black women could get at a certain point and they were taking care of white people's kids. So guess what's happening to their kids at home? Their kids at home are now perpetuating the cycle of not having mom at home. Mm. And not having, and so, and so suddenly it was like, boom, I got it. 
I got mm-hmm. it. I 100, like you take me away from my kids when I'm at home. Like I got it. Let's go. And so anytime that somebody talked to me about it, and of course I did it in a super kind way, but I was, you know, I was honest. I said, look, that's, that's actually not <laughs> the reason for that problem. That's not. And the only reason I say this story is because I know the reason I say this story is because this is why I put myself in this position. I, there are a lot of times I don't want to ask these questions because I feel ignorant yeah. or I feel stupid that I don't know already. Or I'm scared that you, you know, someone will think I'm, (laughs) you know, why don't you know this, you know? And so I finally just had to throw that out and just be like, screw that. I'm just going, I'm going to ask the questions and I'm going to ask the hard questions. And if they look at me and say, you should have known this already, then I'm going to be like, okay, then I'll go figure it out. You know? Yeah. 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 No, I I mean, I think that's important like to be self-aware and to recognize that, you know, potentially people can interpret lack of information as indifference. And the reality is, you know, the best of us don't have all the information, you know, like there's tons of things that I think are important for me to stand up for. And there's some, you know, um, tons of areas where it's important for me to be an ally in. And it doesn't mean that I'm overly informed about all of the issues. Right. Right. You know, like when I think about recently, you know, the, the Roe versus Wade, conversation that sprung up with the leaking of you know what what the potential opinions will be uh from the judge's standpoint you know i was like you know i'm not i'm not a woman you know i'm not i'm not a i'm not a mother you know i i'm fortunate to you know have a you know have had sons with mothers who are caring women who you know understand everything about the reproductive you know, um, their reproductive reality, but like that's information that I can never have, you know, and I can learn by listening. And so that's what I just try to encourage people to do is like, don't feel ashamed of what you don't know. Just be intentional about learning the things that you want to have a better understanding of so that you can contribute in a, in a very different way. Uh, I love that you said that because I honestly think that a lot of a lot of people hearing will will appreciate that because I do think that there's oh you speaking of you kind of go into let's see if I can find it but in in letters to the sons of society one thing that really was um, really was a huge eye opening moment was you talk about the. you were you were talking about the the officers the the police officers um and i specifically just highlighted one one sentence and it says tragedies happen when members of law enforcement are afraid of the people they are supposed to be serving I, totally yeah. because when you take away the fear right if if you're out there and you're joining and you're saying hey what's your name i do i get to know you like on your, you know, on the times where nobody's in trouble. I talked to, I actually talk to parents about this all the time. Um, when I'm, when I'm kind of working with parents is one of the things, and especially with, you know, raising kids and everything. One of the things is if you're constantly looking at them and you're constantly berating them for what they're doing wrong, yeah, you just become noise in their ear. Absolutely. You just become noise. And so you, you lose that, you lose that trust, you lose that relationship. And so mm-hmm. that was, that was powerful. That one sentence I went, ah, I've got to highlight it because yeah. Yeah. And once you lose that relationship, it's really hard to recover it Yeah, you know, because new information comes in and creates different outcomes and you know, it's, it's such an important part of the growth process. Yeah. And it's something that we just don't, you know, think enough about, but I'm happy we're able to have conversations like this, which kind of opens up the conversation to other people so that we can deepen, you know, the, the things that we're talking about and, and thinking about and the things that inspire us to do what we do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's why I was so excited to have you on. I I mean, I'd like to have this kind of conversation is, is amazing. So one of the, one of the chapters that absolutely ripped at my heart Mm. was resist. Mm. Yeah. Do you, I would love for you to just 
give your kind of background on that because it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, that chapter is, has been very controversial amongst different groups of friends totally. and, and that's a great thing because I think controversy stimulates conversation and it was tough, you know, you know, as a dad raising, you know, a black boy in, in, in LA, you know, I get other people who are like, you know, are you going to have the conversation with your son? Like, how, how are you going to talk to him about encounters with, you know, um, law enforcement? And what's really sad is that not many people understand the likelihood that, you know, if you're a young black male, there's a strong chance that at some point you will have an encounter with police because of that fear-based, you know, approach to policing. Right. And, you know, if you think about it like this, like, you know, whenever I watch the news or I see shows or media content, the majority of it as it relates to black males is very negative. It's very, you know, we have been kind of like America's problem to solve. We've been women's problem to solve. We've been everybody's problem and nobody's solution. Mm -hmm. And so when I was writing that chapter, I was like, I got to think about, you know, how I really feel about this. And there's this idea that if you just stop resisting, that somehow magically an officer will restore themselves to their humanity and, you know, stop being hurtful and harmful. And I remember a conversation I was in and someone was just like really torn apart by by resist that chapter mm. and you know when she came to me she said you know don't you think that telling your son to resist um is likely going to create problems and I was like well the reality is you know Derek Chauvin's need um rested with his knee on George Floyd's neck for nine minutes, nine minutes. and so as a dad I cannot tell my son that it's okay to capitulate to your own murder right. without fighting for your life. And because I know I wouldn't do it. Like I'm, I wouldn't just not fight. Right. And, but I do understand the psychology of those who are hoping for the best from those who are chosen, uh, whose career and, you know, description is to serve and protect. And so, you know, that doesn't mean that um, those who don't resist are somehow wrong because they're not. They're doing what they think is the right thing and hoping that it inspires the person who's harming them to do the right thing. And sadly, that just wasn't the case. And, you know, the heartbreaking thing about watching that footage is to hear this man, you know, call for his mom. Um, And so, you know, I never would want my child to be in a position to where they were basically being publicly lynched and publicly assassinated and that the reason that they don't defend themselves or, you know, at least try to save their own lives is because they fear the idea that that'll somehow get them into more trouble or that they'll meet, you know, specifically with Sekou that he would meet my disapproval. And so I just felt it was real, you know, it's really how I felt, you know, it's how I think about it. Um, And, you know, the, the, the flip side of that, that chapter or that, that particular book is that, you know, I've met officers and one of who I speak about in the book who are just thoughtful human beings and they do their job with their focus centered on the human encounter and what that really looks like. Yeah. And if we can get more officers thinking along those lines, we'll produce different outcomes. And it's tough, right? It's, it's I mean, like, yeah. you know, we're now seeing kind of like the ice of the tipberg because of the video content that gets um, kind of, you know, shared through social media. So just imagine how horrible things were before people had an opportunity to record. Well, I mean, you can go back years and years and years. And I mean, I remember even um, my husband and I were having a conversation with um, some friends. Uh, I think it was it was it was quite a while ago. But, you know, we were even talking about um, my husband had read or listened to this podcast. But we, we had even talked about how, you know, 
way back when, after the Civil War, guess what happened after they didn't have slaves anymore? Well, then they just figured out a way to <laughs> to arrest, and then now you have yeah. to work in the fields again. We are yeah. starting this cycle. This the cycle was there. The cycle was started. Yeah. The cycle began, and. The only thing that I can, because sometimes it feels overwhelming to me. Sometimes it feels like, what do I do? Like, what, how do I fix this? You know, and I know it's not my job to fix it solely, but at the yeah. same time, I feel like if I'm just doing my little part one by one, step by step, you know, then, then eventually we can break this cycle. And I have kids that this is yeah. now, this is the this is the step, like, let's start to fix this issue, you know, and I will, you know, I, there were several times throughout the book that even people not being willing to, to hear your stories or to, to hear people's stories about the, all the different times that, I mean, you had that one uh, officer that was called out and you could tell that he was frustrated that he got called out because you guys were kind of in, you know, you were smoking a cigar outside and you were, you know, and all that. And then, and at first you were a little bit like, what, like there's a cop coming, but then you realized that he was a totally, he was totally, you know, he didn't want to be there. He was like, why am I getting called out? Is, was that the same story? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, it, was, and it was so important to tell that story because I think we get, so many of the negative stories, we get so many people who just like are, you know, talking about all the bad, but I'm like, then there's, there's, the, there's the good guys, you know, there's the guys who really are trying their best to be in service to the community and people. Right. And, you know, the pathway is through conversations. Like how do you really connect your humanity in those ways? And like this officer he just showed up with his full humanity. He really understood um, that the person who called in was just making up some false information because they knew that they would respond to, you know, the fear of black men in the group. And we were at a celebratory thing for this incredible barbershop yeah. who had just won an award um, for remodeling this barbershop, you know? And so we were able to really get into a, a great conversation about that. But another interesting thing, I don't know if you picked up on this on the book, because I didn't pick up on it until I was actually going through the editing process. Okay. Um, there's at least five different encounters with police officers in the book. I did. And and it's and it's really just deep when you think about how that shows up. Like I don't know many of my friends who have had who aren't black who have had like that many encounters when there was no wrongdoing present in any capacity right and no so, I will 100% agree with you on that yeah like and that and what's funny is if you but yet you know we I, I have plenty of friends and I have you know and I I the it pisses me off regardless right it just really yeah. is it's an ear it's a it's a frustrating thing you that yeah. that story where you're you know you're in the you're in your own car the Taurus, because yeah. it's Taurus. Yeah. yeah. And, and he like runs the thing, it runs you. And of course sees that you had this past, you know, and so then he comes up and that actually, that leads me into, because one of the things I wanted to ask was, you know, one of the best chapters also was you coming out of, um, I think you can tell I really liked the book. So one of the things that was, was when you were coming, you would come out of jail and or in prison and you, um, you had to kind of acclimate back into the world. Right. Yeah. And, um, you had to, um, you had to get to a point where, where you, not only that, but you were also doing this book thing. And so you were going around and you're repeating the same problems over and over and over again. And so, right. And so you're having to go through some of these ghosts and some of these things. So, and, and that put you in a, a rough place because you're having to recover that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I think about my work in the world and I think about the other courageous women and men who are, you know, working in spaces of advocacy, especially around criminal justice, oftentimes we're telling our personal stories and when I was out on tour um, with Writing My Wrongs, 
I found myself in just these back-to-back conversations and continue to kind of open up those old wounds yeah. without balancing out with any self-care. And, you know, it's, it's one of the things now that I think about a lot when, you know, I'm navigating spaces and places in time and, and trying to be super intentional about having broader conversations that it really isn't about personal trauma, uh, but sometimes it's unavoidable, you know? Yeah. And so I just try to make sure that I'm conscious of it when I'm going into these conversations and, and just being mindful of the importance of like giving myself permission to just take a break or not, you know, um, not talk too much about that personal, you know, experience. And, you know, what I think people are going to get from the book is just this very human connectivity to the stories that are happening, that I'm in these stories uh, in a real way, which is, which is also different, right? Going back a little bit, we talked about the conversation and having those conversations. Like yeah. a lot of the people who have written about it, they haven't had an encounter with, with police. So they're them being resistant to the conversation is really about them not having the lived experience. And so those of us who have lived experience, you know, we tell our stories over and over um, and, and they could, they could definitely be, traumatic so it's like first of all it's refreshing to have a a broader conversation about the general themes of what's happening in the world and to write a book that evokes those conversations um i'm not sure if you can tell right now like i'm i'm super tired i've been like on screens all day but you know this conversation is so important and refreshing and you know i'm really happy we're able to do it yeah. Well, me too. I mean, and I do appreciate it because you, I, I totally understand how being on screens all day is kind of a, it's crazy, but it's, yeah. it is one, one of those things because I'm sure that you probably get invited to a lot of different places. I'm sure you're probably so busy. It, it is interesting. I was thinking about it and I was like, I, this is such a gift for me to have this conversation. And it's because I do feel like people in my life and people who know me need this conversation and they need these, they need this, they need this book. They need this understanding. My biggest frustration is that people are just not willing to listen. People are just not willing to hear, you know, a lot of times. And that's just being totally and brutally honest. You know, people are just not willing to go to the debt. And that goes back to what we talked about with empathy, I just feel like people now, they just don't want to put themselves in somebody else's position so that they can understand that there's more to the story, that there's more here. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I do think that's true in so many cases, like people haven't been willing to listen, but I also think it's it's part of the problem is the communicator as well. True. Um, Like I can't, I can't come and yell in your face, hey, you know, your, your, your people need to fix everything and it's all your fault, et cetera. Um, because just the human nature is to put a wall up, you know, if right. somebody's just like, Hey, your white privilege doesn't allow you to understand. Like if I was in your shoes, I would just put a wall up. Like, you know, I'm trying to understand that you're basically demonizing me and criticizing me. Um, and so I don't, I wouldn't want to have that conversation. Yeah. Um, but if, if someone says to me, Hey, I really would like to invite you into a conversation about my experiences that I think is important for us to have, but I just need you to listen first. And I need you to listen from, you know, my experience from a heart and soul space. And then let's see what we can do together as human beings to fix or change, you know, a lot of these things. And so it's a two way communication. And I think there's a big communication gap. Uh, people are rewarded online for, you know, all the wrong reasons. You know, I think when people are negative or their energy is, you know, negative in that way, you know, I, I think that they just kind of go at people as opposed to say, hey, let's have a real conversation. Let's connect around the commonality of our humanity. Well, it it so felt like that on, you know, uh, it feels like that now that everybody's up in arms and nobody's listening. And you're exactly right. It's so funny in our nor in, in our personal relationships, for example, right? Mm. I mean, yeah. 
we both have relationships. I've been able to connect with Liz a little bit on uh, who she's yeah. amazing and has done amazing things and stuff. And, um, you know, I've ha I've been married forever, it seems like. Um, mm. And the thing of it is, is that if one of us comes to each other, <laughs> like the way people come to each other on social media, what right. do we think is going to happen? Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a disaster. A disaster. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, and, that, and that's a great thing. You know, I have an incredible partner and her and I are able to really have deep and meaningful conversations. I mean, we're, we both have shared experiences, but then we also have very different experiences. And, you know, for me, what I, what I learned is that as humans, the art of listening has been completely destroyed to the point where people are just hearing information with the intention of responding as opposed to listening with the intention to understand. And if you want to have any healthy relationship dynamic for one, it has to be two way communication and that communication has to be rooted in, you know, ensuring that the person you talk to feels heard. Right. Uh, and that you're really attentive and that you're listening to what it is that they want to share. Yeah. Well, really quick on our last little note, I want to go into just very quickly. Um, one of the best things about this book is your relationship with uh, Seku and and Jay, mm. and just the uh, well, and just the the magic that you you talk about in the end chapter. Um, mm. I believe it's the end chapter, and and you, uh, it's just such a cool moment. Um, um, oh, I just opened to the page where I highlighted the part where Seku like is, um, he's high, he's riding on his pants, like his, his, mm, his joggers. Yeah. And you're like, it's okay. We, you, you got it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah. he, he, uh, you and his mother were able to just be like, you know what? Like you got to let a kid be a kid. And that was, yeah. it was awesome. Um, I was able to highlight when I see my dad now, we immediately hug. My dream is for both, for you both to be able to say the same for as long as I am alive. And yeah. that is, that was, for me, that was a big, I just, it was so good because, um, you know, uh, like I've told you, my husband, you know, I, I made him read the book. And part of the, part of my husband's issue has really been like, you know, uh, you can continue to ask somebody over and over again to be in your life and to right. and to to give to give you more but mm. unless and you can you can make it clear and you can tell your expectations and you can say all these things but if you don't actively do it if that person doesn't actively come and do it then you kind of leave yourself open for hurt and more hurt and pain because you've asked for what you wanted and then you don't receive you know, yeah. and, and so the, anyway, that was, that was really big kind of listening to, or just reading about your, the way you've kind of navigated this relationship that you have with both of your sons. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, you, you, you really hit on a powerful point is that sometimes our expectations or our needs aren't met even when they're communicated. And, you know, what I, what I learned as a dad is that you know, there's always a story that we're telling ourselves, you know, and especially when it comes to our children. And, you know, I had a very complex relationship with my oldest son, Jay, and I have an amazing, incredible relationship with my youngest son, Sekou. And even with the amazing relationship, there are sometimes moments where I just have missed a thing where I didn't get it. Sure. Excuse me. Um, and, and that requires like self-reflection. Yeah. Um, and then being in a partnership, what I have really had to unpack on my own as a man is the importance of communicating exactly what I need for my partner yeah, and not leaving her up to the guesswork. And then, you know, if there's an agreement to fulfill whatever that need is, then to hold her accountable in a way that I, you know, would want her to hold me accountable but that just starts with that two-way communication, you know, listening and, and, and really thinking about what's being shared with you, what's important to your partner, what's important to your child. Right. Uh, the internal conversation you have with yourself, what's important there. Yes. And trusting that, you know, you'll get the things that you desire. And if, and if there's sometimes 
a person may be incapable of giving them to you, giving you right. what you desire. So there's that as well that we have to contend with that, you know, we won't find all things in all people. And, you know, when we're lucky enough to have a partner that matches up with those core needs, those core values, and when we're fortunate enough to be uh, parenting without our ego attached, we can meet the core needs and core values um, or and align the core values um, that our children have. And it just makes for a greater experience as a parent, makes for a greater experience as a partner, and it makes for a greater experience as just a fellow human being. Yeah. The, you know, there's so much more to read in this book, and I really hope that I I really hope that people pick this up and and read it because there's there's a whole moment. I mean, there's a whole time when you go to Ghana, and and mm. oh my gosh, like I just it made me want to go. It made me want to experience yeah. what you experienced. You know, yeah. uh, do you plan on taking uh, your sons at all, or did was Seiku oh. with you? No, Sekou wasn't with me on that trip, but I definitely plan to take him. I'm not sure if Jay would would take up that offer, but I would love to have him go. Um, I, you know, prior to the pandemic, I had plans. I was like, I'm taking everybody. Everybody got to go to yeah. Ghana, <laughs> you know. Um, and and my reason is that you know I have a very diverse network of friends. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have Japanese friends. I have Chinese friends. White. Irish, black, you know, everything you could think of, Same, yeah. you know, Jewish friends. And, and, you know, when I would talk to some of my friends of different nationalities and we have like beautiful conversations about travel and life. And, you know, I, I, they would always say, you got to come to the, to the home country, you know, you yeah. got to come to where, you know, I was born and where my family was born. And, you know, that that troubled my soul for a long time because mm-hmm. I'm like, OK, where do I invite them to? Like, I don't know the roots of um, my African origins. And so I was like, I need to at least take the first step, which is just going to the continent in general. Right. And Ghana yeah. just happened to be the first space. And once I was there, I was like, you know, every body in my friend network needs to come here and have this experience of going in a slave dungeon and to really understand like how powerful that experience is and how it really helped to understand the world that we live in now and what's totally. been done and what we're constantly searching for. So yeah, I uh, highly recommend place to go visit. Yeah. And well, if you ever create a group to go, I'm right there. I will sign up yeah. for it because <laughs> seriously, it was yeah. amazing kind of reading about it and, and really kind of, kind of opening opening my eyes to a lot of things that I feel like people really, really need to take in. I, I, I'm going to read this one thing. Um, It's kind of interesting. It says, it says, I carried with me a huge backpack filled with survivor's guilt. Already two of my nephews had been shot. I still had a lot of friends in prison. These are the pressures our community faces. We feel guilty over our successes, knowing that our friends lie dead in our, or in prison, the weight of our ancestors like burdens around our necks. And then it says, here's the stark truth about it. It's like post-prison in America. No one gives a fuck about you until it's time to hire you, rent you an apartment, or put cuffs on you for drunk driving. If you're hurting, this is the least significant part of your being. The culture will care about you insofar as it will use your past to deny you something, but it won't care if you admit that you're suffering. And... Those are the kind of things that mm-hmm. we we 100% need to to hear and understand and dig deeper and to find more ways where we can sit in a unified place, right? And we can we can really have these conversations where we open up and we say, "Hey, I'm afraid to ask." I'm afraid to know, I'm afraid to, ah, you know, those kind of things. But that's what I feel is so special about this. It's a really amazing book. And I am, I am so blessed. I'm so excited that you were able to sit down with me and have this conversation. And, um, there, there's a part in the back of the book where you talk about all of the different, um, all the different places that, um, I even actually highlighted it of, um, just all the different organizations 
that are do, that are doing amazing things and you actually like you actually do a whole you know you I highlighted all of those because I those are things that we need to recognize and all of the corporations or the organizations out there that are doing amazing things for what we're talking about for finding that connection and finding that ability to connect as people right because we're all just yeah. we're all just spiritually here to like for a flash, for a moment, and yet we spend yeah. so much of it angry with each other or, or, or dealing with our demons, you know? And I really love that you're out to help people understand and to help people kind of, like, free themselves of those demons, you know? Absolutely. Well, you know, I'm, I'm truly honored to be here, and I'm sure this won't be our last conversation. I hope uh, not. <laughs> should, I feel like we have so much more to talk about, and um, I'm, I'm definitely going to be super intentional about making sure that I'm not overly booked the next time. It's so okay. I, it. I love it. I yeah. love that you're overly booked because I love that you're getting the recognition <laughs> that you deserve. And the yeah. thing of it is, 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 I, you know, I, I'm, I actually lived in LA for several years. I'm going to come out. I'm going to take you guys to dinner, you and Liz and, and yeah. Seku. I would love to meet Seku. He's just the sweetest. I actually follow his business online as well. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he is great. He is truly a joy. It is. Yeah. He looks like everything, just his smile. He's got an absolutely amazing smile, you know? Yeah. So he, he truly kind of sets off that joy and it's no doubt that the stuff you've put into his life has created that momentum and that's going to stay. Yeah. So thank yeah, you well, so much. Yeah. I just, I can't take, yeah, go I ahead. I say I can't take all the credit. Um, Seku has a, a really great mom who just pours into him, you know, Liz pours into him in a way that's just so beautiful. Um, you know, I have a network of friends that just adore him and, you know, my younger cousin, who's like a little brother, like they just have an incredible relationship. So he's surrounded with just like really caring, thoughtful people yeah. Um, yeah. who are just fighting hard to ensure that he has the best lived experience, that he's able to maintain the innocence of childhood. Um, yeah. So he's really fortunate. And I'm, I'm fortunate to be his dad and to have all these great co-collaborators. Yeah. And it makes us really, it makes it so much more important that we help as many kids as we can have that same experience, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what the book is about. You it know, is. dads can, you know, I just want to say this, that, you know, what the book is about is it's an invitation for dads to open up, to be vulnerable, to be, you know, free to express all of their emotions so that their children can really reap the benefits and the rewards of having an emotionally evolved dad who actually is willing to just put it all on the line emotionally to make sure that their children have safe pathways through life. And so um, if the book does that part of the job, I feel like the world becomes incredibly uh, more pleasant place. It is. Yeah. And if anything, you've shown that vulnerability is a, is a big factor in that. And like just sharing your experience and being vulnerable, that is a huge factor. We're also afraid of emotions and yet you put it right yeah. out there, right? You put it right out there yeah. and, and it's that fear and that resistance of emotions that gets us into trouble in relationships, gets us into trouble with all of these things. And really, Absolutely. we need to stop resisting all of that and just realize that we all have our stuff and we just need to come together, yeah? So yeah. I just thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on. I appreciate um, thank it. You for um, me. I, I, yeah, yeah I want to do it again anytime, any day, and, yeah. and hopefully just be able to, to uh, dig in a little bit more. And I'm excited about your next book, whatever that may be. <laughs> yeah, well, um, let's if, do it. Let's if you guys are interested, I really, really, really want you to find Shaka. He's, you know, um, you've got a website. What is your website that people can go to? It's shakasingor.com. Okay. Okay. And so, and then um, follow him on Instagram too. You put up some amazing things. I'm always loving all your posts because they're awesome well, and they get us you. to be thinking. So anyway, Thank you so much for your time. I know you've had a long day, but I am yeah. so grateful to meet you and have and be a part of this conversation. Likewise, and let's do this again soon so we can have a more robust and I would love it. More lively conversation. Um because <laughs> you're tired. I promise, 
Yeah, well, you know the crazy thing is like I'm I'm um I'm taking all of June off. Oh, good and for so you. I've literally had to crunch just tons of meetings into these last few days of May. Yeah. Um, do so you have a birthday coming up? I do in June. I'll oh. be turning 50. So congratulations. Yeah, so this has been a crazy, crazy busy time with, you know, all the stuff and, and parenting life and all that. So. Uh, I get, we'll it. get it. We'll get it. We'll get another one on the books for sure. I love it. I love it. Well, um, have fun in June because you really deserve it after all yeah. of this. I know it can be crazy. So thank you so much. And please tell hi to Liz for me. I will do. <laughs> all right. I will talk to you later. Bye. All right. Talk soon. Bye.